Hey, welcome everybody. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward. With our man right in the middle, it's Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Good morning, Paul, and good morning to all of our viewers and our listeners out there. If it's Tuesday, we're talking real estate, and guess what? It is Tuesday. We are back. I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Barry Saywitz Properties. And if it's one thing I've learned in my 30-plus years of doing this, it's to try to surround yourself with good people, people that are smarter than you that will help you make good business decisions moving forward. And we're hoping that today is exactly that. I, I've been waiting a long time for this show, and so I'm excited about it. Before we get going, I do want to do a shout-out to my brother Jeff, who is having back surgery today, and to my father, who is having heart surgery on Thursday. So we've got a little family drama going on, but we'll keep our fingers crossed for both you guys. I uh, love you, and we'll talk to you soon. Now, with that said, I want to welcome our guest, uh, the esteemed Jerry Nicholsberg, who is Professor of Economics at UCLA, Director of the Anderson Economic Forecast, uh, and part of the uh, Zyman uh, School of Real Estate at UCLA. And so, go Bruins. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for coming on. I know that uh, you wear uh, a couple of different hats at UCLA and have been involved with UCLA on the teaching side and also on the economic for forecast side for a long time. I guess let's rewind for a, a little bit and uh, talk about, number one, how you got involved with UCLA. You've been there for almost 20 years now. That's right. It's coming up on the end of two decades. Crazy how time flies. It's crazy how time flies, right? So I've had two careers, one in academia and one in aerospace, uh, but my heart has always been uh, in the classroom. So two decades ago, I decided it was time to come back to the classroom and uh, UCLA graciously uh, picked me up and I've been at the Anderson School ever since. And so for those who aren't familiar, the Anderson School is the graduate school um, and your specialty is uh, economics. And really the Anderson School over those last two decades has really grown not only in size, but also just in prominence uh, and, and respectability in terms of one of the leading uh, MBA programs in the country. Uh, and I think part of that is due to yours and, and others' involvements in, in creating an environment where people want to come there, and, and it's a, a great place to learn. And I went there, and so I know. Well, thank you. And I think uh, the credit really goes to our administration. Uh, we have tried to be on the cutting edge of education, and so we have new programs that really reflect the 21st century. And that's one of the things that uh, has held us up in our prominence. Uh, our goal is to serve our students and provide the best education possible. And so while the Anderson School has continued to evolve and grow, you have the Zyman Center for Real Estate uh, through the generosity of not only Richard Zyman, but, but others involved in wanting to see a real estate component uh, at UCLA in the graduate school and, and, and involving the community. I guess talk a little bit about how that has evolved as well and how that ties in with Anderson. Sure, so we have the Simon Institute for Real Estate and the UCLA Anderson Forecast, of which I'm the faculty director. Uh, but of course, the economic forecast depends heavily on what's happening in commercial and residential real estate. And so the two of us, in terms of our respective research centers, have cooperated on a number of programs 
and research and indeed through the generosity of Steve Gordon and uh, and Dick Simon, uh, we now have a dedicated real estate economist who is half time with the forecast and half time with the Zyman Center. And, and so we're continually evolve, evolving, deepening our research, asking questions about policy uh, that don't have an advocacy to them. They don't take one side or the other. What we want to do is look at data and come up with conclusions as to what the data is suggesting the consequences or benefits of various policies are. The board of directors and the supporters of the uh, Zyman Center for Real Estate is really a who's who of real estate players throughout Southern California and Los Angeles in particular. And so I, I'm always excited to go to the real estate conferences and, and see who's participating. And I'm guessing that you gather a plethora of information from them in the real world, in addition to the data and statistics that you guys are uh, uh, pulling from. That's correct. And we also have a board of advisors uh, for the UCLA Anderson forecast which uh, is comprised of senior executives across not just real estate, but all industries in Los Angeles and California. And so there's a lot of synergy there between the two institutes. And uh, those board of advisors bring us boots on the ground information. It helps to uh, really focus our research and uh, we turn out a better product because of it. Yeah, so it's we're most appreciative of their support. And it's, it's really is across the board from banking and investment and not only real estate and home building and, and other aspects of it, but those are all intertwined into the overall concept of what's going on with the economy and where the heck are we going. Um, and so, uh, again, for those not familiar with the the UCLA Anderson forecast, I, I want to call it every year, but you guys do uh, conferences uh, really on a, a quarterly basis. Uh, and monitor uh, indicators in the economy and try and project and predict and, and talk about trends that are going on in uh, the economy. So the you just came out with one a couple of months ago, and then obviously you have another one again next month. Um, I, I guess talk about the forecast itself and how that's evolved. The forecast is the oldest research institute uh, at the Anderson School of Management at UCLA. We are now 70 one years old, just about 72 years old. Uh, and the objective of the forecast uh, in its formation at UCLA was to provide objective, independent forecasts so that policymakers can look at that and make good decisions. And uh, we've had six directors. I'm the sixth uh, faculty director of the forecast. We put on four uh, events a year, once each quarter, where we update the forecast, but we also focus on specific themes. And so our October 4th uh, forecast conference on the campus of UCLA uh, is going to be looking at the impact of climate change on the California economy, including uh, important issues for real estate, such as what's happening in the insurance industry. Yeah. Uh, we have as our keynote, a senior executive of one of the major insurance companies here. So that's the kind of activity that we do. We also have regional conferences once a year. We are uh, on your campus at uh, UCI. And once a year we are in San Francisco. Uh, we're partnering with the uh, UC College of Law San Francisco uh, and the Bay Area Economic Council for a conference there. That will be next month 
And we're just about to begin a sacramental conference uh, that'll start in 2024. And, and the focus of the conference uh, in terms of the data and the trends, it, it, it's not only California. Uh, I, I mean, originally it seems like it was Southern California. Now it's really all of California, but it's also nationwide because whatever is going on outside of your own little bubble uh, will ultimately come back to affect you in, in terms of what's going on on the home front. And, and, and originally these conferences were for just the UCLA alumni, but now it's really open to the public and you really have a wide variety of people that are looking for insight uh, to apply to their own business. Uh, that's, that's correct. Uh, we now have a nationwide audience uh, in the tens of thousands actually because of the advent of uh, virtual production of our conferences. Uh, so we have in-person as well as a virtual component uh, we model the U.S. economy, we model the Chinese economy, and we pay attention to other world economies. Uh, we ask the question when it comes to California, how is the California economy different from the U.S. economy? And uh, to the extent that it is different, we then uh, have models that alter our U.S. forecast to give us a California forecast, and then we come down to Orange County and uh, Los Angeles and the Bay Area uh, through other models and analysis. Which is great. And that's sort of a good uh, intro into uh, sort of our next segment, which is what is really going on and, and what is the forecast and what's the prognosis. Paul and I sit here every week and uh, people ask, well, who's got the crystal ball and, and what do you think? And people ask me all the time and uh, I don't want to say I make it up, but I do the best I can. But you and your group are really the one of the leading authorities in terms of trying to uh, model and predict what will happen based on uh, data and, 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 and uh, uh, what is going on from other folks and what you're hearing. And so um, what is the prognosis of where we sit today? A lot, lot going on. The, the, the show is timely. Uh, the Fed's going to uh, is meeting and is going to announce something tomorrow. Uh, and it may be nothing that they announce, but they're going to announce something. And uh, the economy continues to chug along, if you will, uh, without this massive recession that people were predicting. I don't know if there's a landing or a soft landing, but I guess that's a lot of thoughts coming out of my mouth. I'm curious to, as to what your group thinks and, and what you're predicting. Sure. I think one thing that many uh, analysts and, uh, and commentators missed is that when a big event happens like a pandemic, an event that's hopefully a once in a lifetime event, it causes changes in our behavior. And I think we notice this personally, but that aggregates to what's happening in the economy. It means that past data is not as reliable as it was before in forecasting the future. So you have to be really careful with how you interpret data. And uh, coming out of the pandemic, uh, we noticed uh, you know, a couple of things, one was uh, that there were supply chain shortages. Uh, we've seen that a couple of times before prices have spiked and then they've come right back down. Uh, we also see in the economy a lot of underlying strength because unlike uh, real recessions, and the pandemic was uh, kind of an unusual recession, uh, but real recessions are about overbuilding of durable goods, in particular housing and uh, commercial real estate and autos. And we really didn't have that in housing and autos this time. In fact, we underbuilt. So we've seen strength in uh, residential construction. We've seen strength in autos. And on top of that, 
we have something that's also different from previous times. We have a con uh, contractionary monetary policy, but we have an expansionary fiscal policy with the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act and, uh, and the Infrastructure Act. So those are counterbalancing each other. And that's given us a strong underlying economy. So the prognosis is uh, that we'll finish this year uh, with pretty decent growth. The higher interest rates are going to take a bit of a toll next year. Uh, so it'll be slower growth, but we do have those countervailing forces. And, uh, and then we get into 2025 and we come back to trend. Uh, one thing to keep in mind uh, and we know this from our own personal behavior, is that we were in lockdown for 15 months. We had money and we wanted to go out and spend. And so consumption, which is 67% of GDP, has been strong. And the latest retail sales are up. And so is it uh, now that people are past that sort of spending spree, traveling spree, getting out, doing their thing, uh, and they realize, geez, it's a lot more expensive, gas here in California, you know, well above $6 a gallon uh, in many places. And um, uh, my $6 burger at Carl's Jr. is now $12. Are people now starting to pull back and being more conscious or there's still the spending, which is what continues to keep just fueling the economy alone? We see no evidence of people uh, pulling back. Uh, you know, the uh, savings rates aren't going up, but they're not going down either. Uh, but people are continuing to spend. They have jobs, they're earning income, their incomes are going up. And, uh, you know, kind of one of the things the pandemic taught us, I think, is we want to be with other people. We want to be at social events and uh, we're willing to spend money to do that. And do you find that um, because there hasn't really been a crash of the housing market, that the perception of people, and to me, a lot of what happens in terms of people's spending habits and their uh, their their own uh, fiscal responsibility is a function of their perception of whether they're wealthier or not. And if they're worse off, then they would pull back. And there really hasn't been this sort of drop in value of the residential real estate. So therefore, people don't feel like, oh, geez, my house is worth less. I, I need to cut it back. Uh, and then they continue to keep doing what they're doing because the other side of it is if I have credit card debt or I have other kinds of debt, those interest rates are all up and it is really costing me more money. I should be cutting back, but I'm not. Right. I mean, most people are locked into very low interest rate mortgages. When I say most people, I mean those who own their own homes. Yeah. And, and, and so the cost of housing for them is not going up, but equity in their homes is going up. And that's part of savings for retirement. Uh, and, and so they have jobs, they have income, and they're feeling secure. Uh, this is an interesting time because when people are asked about their own personal economy, the answer is, you know, I feel good about myself. I feel secure in my job, in my future, uh, in my income. And then they're asked about the economy and they say, well, the economy is terrible. So they think they're doing well and they think right. everyone else is doing poorly and everyone else feels exactly the same way. So it's a very uh, kind of strange environment that we're in, that there isn't an agreement that the economy is doing what it's doing, which is quite well. And if you're not subject to interest rate per se, um, you know, in the commercial real estate world, we are all subject to interest rate change, mm -hmm. uh, and it certainly affects uh, variable rate loans and those uh, other types of, of things that are, are 
relating to real estate, but if you are a homeowner and you have a fixed rate loan, or if you're a renter and you don't have a, a interest rate or you're not gonna go get a loan, uh, then it's not as big of a deal. But uh, everybody seems to be talking about the interest rates. Is the Fed gonna raise it anymore? Are they gonna pull back? Uh, I saw three articles this morning when I opened my phone that all talked about the fact that they believe that the Fed will start to pull back interest rates when they've just now reached what we believe to be the pinnacle of, of raising interest rates, but they're jumping to the next level of a pullback. Do you foresee that that's coming and is it coming in short order or are we really pushed out to 2025? So the Fed has consistently telegraphed that they're not going to start lowering interest rates uh, anytime soon. Uh, we're expecting another 25 basis point increase in the Fed funds rate to happen a little later this year, probably not right now. Uh, that is a way for the Fed to signal that they're still serious about uh, controlling inflation. Next year, and maybe a bit later next year, when the Fed is looking at an economy that is weakening a bit and inflation that is coming down and has broken through the 3% uh, barrier, not the 2% that they want, but through 3%, uh, we think that they're going to move a little bit, a little bit to indicate that they are also serious about preventing a recession so long as interest, uh, so long as inflation rates keep coming down. So we're predicting uh, what the Fed is saying, higher for longer, but maybe not quite as high as their peak rate. And uh, in terms of how that relates back to the commercial real estate markets, obviously people that are out there, same boat as the homeowners. If you have a fixed rate loan, uh, you're locked in and you ride it as long as you can or as long as you have it. But for those who are out there who have to go get new debt or their debt is adjustable or adjusting, you're, you're going to feel the pinch of the higher interest rates. How does that ripple effect then come back into uh, the commercial real estate side of things? Let's talk about office markets first. Yeah, I, that's that's really telling. So there is quite a bit of office space that's going to be rebased as owners find that uh, that the demand for office space has gone down and uh, interest rates have gone up. The refinancing is not supported by the rents that they're getting. And we're seeing that uh, happening in San Francisco, which is one of the cities that was hardest hit by uh, the move to hybrid and remote work, uh, that office buildings are selling for a fraction of uh, their value five years ago. Uh, that means that rents will come down and now we're starting to see uh, companies come into San Francisco and rent new space. That process takes time, uh, but that's an adjustment that will take place reflective of higher interest rates, reflective of a changed way in which businesses use office. Something that we saw in retail, it took a few years and now we're starting to see new retail construction as the redundant space was bled off and uh, the growth in the economy has demanded uh, additional retail space. And on the office side, uh, to compound it, uh, I'm curious your thoughts, the cost of construction today for modifying or doing new improvements for a new tenant to re retool the space is exponentially higher than it was before with inflation and the cost of goods. And so that, that also adds to a landlord's cost to, to re-rent the space. Sure. And, the, and so that lowers the value of at least some of the existing office space. And, you know, that's part of the process of the economy adjusting to a new equilibrium 
uh, where firms have a different way in which they want to use office space. Owners of existing office space are faced with these higher interest rates. Yeah, in, in addition to higher operating costs, in addition to higher insurance costs, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, it seems like all of the indicators, if you're an owner of office space, are going in the wrong direction, rent going down, expenses going up, and demand really not back. It's uh, it's going to be a little while until the office market recovers. Yeah, the example of retail that I pointed out a moment ago says it's going to be a few years. And the retail really was, I mean, during COVID, like no one wanted retail, no one wanted to touch it. And people thought retail was over for good. Everybody just stay at home and order everything online and not go out. That's obviously not the case, but uh, you now have uh, all the businesses that went out uh, during COVID. A lot of that space is getting retooled. And I don't want to say retailed is the darling again, but um, it, it is certainly on its way back. And I think I'm curious your thoughts, but I think strong, a little stronger than the office market at the moment. Uh, definitely. Retail seems to have turned the corner. One of the things that we discovered uh, during the lockdown is that we wanted to be out and with people. And so experiential retail is actually doing very well. And so we're seeing new development of experiential retail. People want to go to stores, be around other people, even if they're not socializing with them. And so the move to having an anonymous delivery of uh, your the goods that you buy to your home uh, is still happening, but not as much and only in commodified uh, goods. And, and do you find that that's the case across the country? Not just in, I mean, Southern California have nice weather. People uh, typically are outside more so than uh, in other places on the East Coast or the Midwest. But it, it may be a human nature thing that people just need to get out. I mean, I think that that's right. And it's happening across the country. And of course, in Southern California, we are uh, going out in the winter in, you know, shorts and t-shirts and you're not doing that in Chicago. Right. But relative to the way that Chicago was, uh, people want to be out and they want to be uh, in stores, in theaters, uh, you know, they, they want to be around other people. And so let's uh, talk about the industrial market then uh, for a second, because complete opposite of the office market, I think. Uh, the industrial market has been extremely hot uh, for quite some time. Uh, the growth in the industrial market is now going to be slowing down some. Uh, because we are buying more services and, and not buying fewer goods, but not increasing the amount of goods that we're buying by quite as much. And, uh, and so there's still a real demand for space because uh, vacancy rates in industrial space uh, at, at one point, you know, we're below 2% here in Southern California. So that means you can make uh, warehouses uh, pencil out and so we're still seeing new construction. It's just not as robust as it was uh, previously. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I drove on the 55 freeway in Santa Ana yesterday and they had torn down office buildings and they're building industrial uh, because that apparently mm -hmm. must be the highest and best use. And uh, the rental rate uh, based on what they're asking is a net effective greater than what would be you know, Newport Beach office space. And so that's why it's getting built uh, that apparently it uh, seems to be a new trend if you can get it done. And the other part of industrial space is we're seeing a dramatic increase in the building of factories across the U.S., including here in California. 
And so do we attribute that to the fact that uh, people just want to uh, make the product here in the United States and not have it made overseas? Uh, I think it's attributable to uh, the U.S. new industrial policy. So the CHIPS Act and the Inflation uh, Reduction Act uh, are specifically designed to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. And it's doing that in a very dramatic way. And so is the general prognosis uh, for industrial continue? I mean, the vacancy is still very low. I don't think we're seeing every deal more expensive than the last where it's just run away, uh, you know, make up a number and then they'll they'll come. At some point you reach sort of a threshold and, and there's a little bit of a, a kink in the armor, or at least a, a leveling of the market. But I don't see any softness in the industrial market in the in the short term. Right, we're expecting vacancy rates to go up as new space comes onto the market, but for uh, rental rates, lease rates, uh, our expectation is that they're going to hold pretty firm. Yeah, and then let's talk about the multifamily, uh, and then we'll shift over to the to the housing market. But the multifamily market also super hot, uh, building where you can. Uh, new housing starts. Uh, I was I was looking at a statistical analysis. New housing starts uh, in August last month was like one of the worst in, in years uh, in terms of just a slowdown, but yet the apartment side of things is still uh, going strong and, and new buildings coming up left and right because there's a shortage. Yeah, so, so August saw in the West uh, a fairly dramatic cutback of new housing starts. August in the West saw a hurricane and that, and that took a couple of weeks out of the new starts. Mm. So this was uh, a very uh, atypical, but if you look at permits from the West, uh, this this uh, in August, they're up by almost 10%. Yeah. And, and, and so housing starts are, well, housing permits are above their historical average now. So the housing market is not imploding. There's a lot of demand for rental housing and multifamily housing as well as single family detached housing. And uh, we're expecting that to hold pretty firm and close to the um, the historical average uh, going through these next couple of years. And uh, do you track or do you look at uh, apartment rents? I mean, obviously apartment rents have shot up dramatically with the shortage of housing throughout COVID. Uh, when rents went up uh, double digits. And um, now it seems like they're flattening a little bit. Uh, correct. And rents are going down in some places. Uh, and uh, rental increases have, have slowed fairly dramatically. It's interesting because I, I look at it and, and the apartment rents, while they're either flattened or they've come down, are still well above where they were. Uh, at, let's say if you use the beginning of COVID as a benchmark, you're, you're still at a much higher number than where you're at before, but the, the trend seems to be a leveling off. Uh, that's that's correct. So what happened with COVID was we decided if we're going to be working from home at least part-time, uh, we needed more space. And, and so that's a change in consumer preferences, uh, which increases the demand for housing and increased rents. Yeah. And, and also then changes the type of product or the amenities that maybe the product has uh, to try and cater to that, whether that's yards or patios or common areas or playgrounds or those types of things as well. Correct. And so then let's talk about the housing market. So um, we talked about it a little bit before, but does this supply and demand, uh, I guess, rule, if you will, uh, outweigh everything else that's going on in the market? You have high interest rates, more than double what they were 
a year and a half ago, uh, yet uh, you really haven't seen prices come down very much. Overall, prices have come down, but in the housing market, we're not seeing that because we weren't overbuilt in housing. So we still need a lot more housing. Housing has been a supply constraint, uh, uh, supply constraint, particularly in California, but also elsewhere. And uh, until that supply increases, we're not going to see the decrease in uh, in home prices or the stabilization of home prices. I also find that people who are locked in at these really low 2 and 3% interest rates, if they were going to trade up and get something bigger or different or newer or whatever the case was, they just sort of said, hey, I'm just going to sit tight with what I got. Um, I, I'm fine for now. And then that takes product off the market, which then keeps the supply side of it uh, at the lower end of the stick. Correct. In terms of going forward, if the Fed raises the rates a quarter point, if it, if we are at sort of the uh, pinnacle of the bell curve, if you will, um, how does that play back into the commercial and the residential real estate markets for this next 12 months? I know that at the forecast, you're, you're obviously looking at it and updating quarterly, but uh, are we in sort of a, I don't know, is it a transition mode? Is that what you'd call it? Well, you know, I, I think we're about at the at, at the target rate for the Fed, and 25 basis points is not going to move the needle uh, really one way or another. So, if there's another increase in uh, in the Fed funds rate, uh, I, I don't think that makes a lot of difference. So, I think we're there now. And uh, so, for folks that are thinking about going out and purchasing commercial or residential real estate. Is there a word of advice? I mean, you know, people ask me all the time, well, should I buy? Should I sell? Should I hold? And, and, you know, my response is, look, if you're in it for the long haul, then I guess, you know, you just have to make a determination whether you want to own something or not. If you're going to buy it and flip it, that's a different story. So I'm going to punt on that question because uh, we do an analysis of the economy, but we don't provide advice. Yeah. And uh, in terms of the crystal balling for those out there that we're looking for, the golden answer or the golden ticket, you're not going to get it and, and you're going to have to go to a bunch of different sources to be able to try and, again, gather whatever information you can and apply it to your own set of circumstances and then try and act accordingly. But in terms of the government as a whole, um, and their uh, attempts to sort of get a grip on the economy and, and, and send in a direction. Do, do you feel like Washington is really uh, making some changes or doing anything to dictators or really back to the Fed that's really guiding the economy? Well, on the fiscal side, you know, as, as we talked about before, there are a number of new acts that's expansionary fiscal policy and monetary policy is contractionary. And so those are contravailing forces that uh, are coming on the national scene. And so uh, in terms of the updates that you do for the uh, forecast, when you come out with these on a quarterly basis, is there then adjustments to the targets that you're tracking uh, when you do these conferences? Uh, there, there are adjustments. I mean, we look at the latest data, we incorporate that, and we incorporate uh, the, what I call soft data, the, the qualitative information that we have uh, and that's what gives us our updates to our forecast. Yeah. And so for those out there that want to um, look at the forecast or track it or follow you guys and, and what you're doing, what's the website or where can they go to to get more information on the Anderson forecast? If you go to the UCLA uh, Anderson website, you can get to the Anderson forecast. 
and our next conference is on Wednesday, uh, October 4th. Great. And the website for the Anderson, for is it just andersonforecast.com? I forget. I, I think if you put in your search, uh, uh, put in your search uh, uh, model, it'll come up. Or, or you call your friend Google, it'll, it'll be there. Yeah. It'll be there, it'll pop right up. Good. Well, look, we're, uh, it always goes very quickly. I could uh, chit chat with you all day. I'm always uh, curious as to uh, your input and prognostications and uh, feedback. And so I appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your thoughts with us and talking about the forecast and um, for, for those Bruin alumni and everyone out there that, that um, follows what you're doing, I appreciate all the hard work that you and your staff do and keep up the good work. And thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. So I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company. We're out of time today, but we'll be back next week talking more real estate. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to everyone here at OC Talk Radio for making the show happen. And we'll see you back here again next week. Thanks again. Well, there you have it. You've been listening to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in Southern California. On Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studio here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.